Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Resurrection City Church. Thanks for being with us here this morning. My name is Julie Stegman, and I'm one of the pastors here. So if I haven't met you yet, thanks for coming. We're really glad to have you visit with us this morning. So we are currently in a sermon series through the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. So we always try to keep in mind what's going on in the book as we're moving through it. And uh, for the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about unity, and today we're going to continue talking about that, but we're going to talk about how our individual gifts kind of play into that unity, so how the individual piece fits together with the whole. Uh, and so we're going to talk about how each of us have been uniquely gifted, and we have this special calling from God to work in the church and to do different things to build up the church. And as I was preparing this week, I had this flashback to eighth grade where we had a new English teacher, and he was like young and kind of the cool guy. Everyone thought he was like really cool. And the first week of class, we get in, you know, you take your seats, and he kind of marches up to the front of the room, stares at us, and just starts yelling. He says, you are not special. <laughs> we all just kind of stared at him because... I, we've never had a teacher say that to us before, and we were eighth graders, so we were at the top of the school. We thought we were pretty special. Um, but he went on to just talk about how, you know, oh, all your teachers growing up have probably told you that you're a unique snowflake, and you can do anything you want if you just put your mind to it. He was like anti-millennial before millennial was even a term. <laughs> um, but I, so as I was thinking about this and thinking about how today we're going to be talking about how each of us have this unique calling, this special calling, uh, I couldn't get his voice out of my head. And so we're going to talk today about how, yes, you are special, um, but at the same time, we are meant to be using our gifts for the unity of the church and for God. And so in that way, we kind of aren't special. So we'll talk about both those things as we go through it. So let's start with our passage. Um, we're just going to do what we usually do. We'll walk through the text and kind of talk through some different things, and then we'll move into a time of application and really talk about what it looks like for us in our daily lives. So Ephesians 4, uh, 7 and 8. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So let's start with verse 7. It says, to each of us, grace has been given. And I want to take a quick look at that word grace because we're going to talk a lot about gifts. And, it, you know, later on in the passage, it talks about how gifts are given to the people. We often use the term spiritual gifts. Uh, but Paul starts out by saying this word grace. And here he's not necessarily talking about saving grace, although that is a gift that we have been given, as we talked about earlier in Ephesians. But in many ways, he's echoing what he said earlier in chapter 3. So if you remember back, uh, Paul talks about the grace that he had been given to preach Christ to the Gentiles. So in many ways, Paul could have just as easily have said the ministry that he had been given to preach grace to the Gentiles. And so we see here that we each have been given a ministry as well. You could kind of use that word there as you think about grace. So he isn't just talking about like, you know, if you take a spiritual gifts assessment, if you've ever had to do that before in a church, and they kind of give you like five different things. He's not just talking about those five things, but he has a bigger picture for what Christ has given each of us. There's this grace, this ministry that has been given. So I want you to keep that in your mind as we kind of walk through the rest of the passage. Okay, so then it goes on in verse 8. He says, 
This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. That seems a little out of place when you first read it. And so anytime, if you're reading the Bible, just a good practice to have is if you see quotation marks around something, ask yourself, what is he quoting? Where does that come from? Why would he use it here? And so when you look into this passage, you find out Paul is actually quoting from Psalm 68, which is a part of the Old Testament. So if you're newer to reading the Bible, we kind of break the Bible into two what we call testaments. And it's not because there's like two different gods or two different stories happening, but it's kind of like a section break in a book. You know, if a lot of time passes or something, they might put a little break and you see part one, part two. So that's kind of what we have here. And anytime you see something from the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, it's always good to go back and look, understand the context, ask yourself, why did the author pick this specific quote to bring into the New Testament? And as I looked into this one, it is notoriously difficult to understand. Uh, It's a psalm that is hard to place in its time period. It's hard to know exactly um, when it was written or what events, what historical events it was written about. But when you look at it from a big picture, we do know that uh, the people in the psalm are asking God to come and rescue the people again. And as they're doing that, they're recounting previous military victories or previous victories that the Lord has had. And so uh, that's kind of how we get this connection between this psalm and this context, is that whenever there was a military victory in the Old Testament, there was a giving of gifts that followed. So John Stott, who is a commentator on the book of Ephesians, said, uh, if you want to click to the next slide, he says, we need to remember that after every conquest in the ancient world, there was invariably both a receiving of tribute and a distributing of largesse, basically just gifts or money. So what conquerors took from their captives, they gave away to their own people. Kind of a strange concept for us to understand. We're not like hugely supportive of taking over other countries and, you know, taking their stuff and keeping it. Not an idea we're really all about. Um, So I was trying to think of like, how could we think about it in a modern context? And uh, lately I've been really into the show World of Dance. Uh, Has anybody ever watched that? It's like a competitive reality show. I danced growing up, and so it's super fun to watch these. I mean, they're incredible, honestly. Just Google clips of it. It's unreal. Um, And this year, there are several groups from Minnesota competing on there. And they're actually from a studio that's like in Maplewood, just down the street from us. So I was kind of excited about that. And I was thinking about this idea of conquering and then bringing the gifts back to the people would be a little bit like if one of these Minnesota groups won the million dollars you win to be the first place competitor in World of Dance and came back and was like, I'm going to give away my money to the city of Maplewood. I'm going to let them do what they need to do with it, right? So that's this idea. They win something, they conquer, and they come back, and then they distribute it to their people. So that's kind of the idea that's going on in this psalm. And that's how it connects, is that where we're getting that gift idea. So then Paul goes on a little bit further to make it clear what victory he's referring to in Ephesians 4. So in verse 9, he says, What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Again, these verses sound a little confusing at first, but if you hang with Paul's logic, you can get it after a little bit. So he says, what does it mean that he ascended? 
So here he's referring to Psalm 68, where he quoted, he said that he ascended, and he's saying, well, if that person has ascended, logically they must have descended first. So basically, to go up, you have to have come down. And then he goes on, uh, and he says that the, the one who first descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So who does that sound like? Remember in the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul says that Christ is the one who is raised high above all powers and authorities, and he's the one who fills everything to its fullness. So if you follow Paul's logic, he's saying that Christ is the one that they were waiting for in Psalm 68. He is the one with the military victory. He descended or came down to earth to live among us. Theologians call that the incarnation. He lived a perfect life and then conquered sin and death by dying on the cross and taking the punishment for all of our sin. And then three days later, he was raised higher than everything else in victory. And at that, that same Jesus is the one who is the ultimate king, who is the ultimate victory. He is the very one who is sharing his victory with you and with me and with anyone who believes in him. It's crazy, right? When you follow Paul's logic and you realize it's just mind-blowing that Christ would even in the first place be willing to come and die for us and save us, and then beyond that, that he chooses to give us a part of his victory. He chooses to invite us into this story where he is the king uh, and shares his victory with all of us. I know when I talk to people, a lot of times this idea of significance comes up, right? Like we're looking for significance. Maybe our job feels unfulfilling or you just feel like, man, I just do the same thing every day, every week, and it's getting old. And they're looking for meaning. They want to feel like they're a part of something bigger. This is that meaning. (laughs) God is inviting us to be a part of his story. He's invited us into the family of God, and now he is giving us a calling, He's not just saying, hey, come be a part of this, and then, you know, like, you can just hang out and I'll do all of the work. He's inviting us to have significance. He's giving us a role within the story that he is writing. Okay, so let's talk more about what is the calling. How does all of this sort of fit together? So Paul goes on in verses 11 through 13 to say, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service or some translations say work of ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I want to talk about two things here. He talks about the structure of the church, uh, and then he also goes on to give that purpose. Why do we have this calling? What is it for? So first of all, we're going to talk a little bit about structure. Uh, Paul lists these different gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, kind of these different roles. Joel is actually going to dive into each of those next week, so we'll kind of have a little bit of overlap between the two uh, sections. So I'm going to give us more of a big picture of how this all fits together. And so we see that the church is set up in a way that when it's working well together, it's building up the body of Christ towards unity, faith, knowledge of God, and the fullness of Christ, which as we've been through Ephesians, these are all things that we've been talking about so far. And while everyone has a different role to play in this, uh, everyone has a responsibility and a part to play. And for those of you who love structure and organization, uh, there's a thoughtful, intentional structure behind how the church is set up. And it's not like we would normally think. So a lot of you might work in 
companies or in jobs where there's some sort of like hierarchy, right? There's like, I don't know enough about this. I'm going to mix up which letters go with which things. Like the CEO and the CFO, are those like the top two? And then there's kind of the, I don't know, we'll say VIPs the next line. <laughs> I'm clearly getting this wrong. Um, and then there's maybe the associates or whatever, and then maybe interns at the bottom. I don't know how this, you, but you know, there's like a hierarchy, right? Um, and uh, a lot of times you're focused on like, oh, I got to get higher up in the system. I want to climb the ladder. There's all, all this um, dynamic, all these different dynamics between the different levels. Well, the church is not set up like that. Uh, so I did my best to try and put together some kind of diagram that would uh, sort of represent how the church is set up. So it looks a little bit more like a flow chart um, with Christ at the top. So there is some kind of structure, right? Like the, there is a top and that's Christ. He's the head of all things. He's the one who has the victory. He's the one who's earned that spot. And then the rest of it, that's the best I could do with what Google offered me. But uh, if you zoomed all the way out, we'd all be on the same level, right? Like there's only, we've all kind of have this same spot in the hierarchy, all under Christ. Uh, but within that, there's this different structure. Uh, there's these different roles that people play, and as they do that, they help build up other people, right? It talks about how the prophets and evangelists and teachers equip the saints for the work of ministry. So they're equipping other people to go out and do their thing. And while they're doing their thing, they're hopefully equipping other people to go out and do their thing. And so it just kind of keeps going and going. If that chart could go on forever, that's hopefully how the structure of the church is laid out. So we have a part to play in building each other up and in building up the body of Christ. I recently heard someone say, uh, you haven't made a disciple truly until your disciple makes a disciple. So you get this idea of it kind of continuating um, or like it's meant to be a structure that's self-propagating. It keeps moving throughout it. And along with this structure, Paul also compares the church to a human body. Uh, and the interesting thing about a body is that every part uh, has a role to play, and it's essential for every part of the body to play its role in order for things to work properly. And you can probably relate to this, right? Even if you've done something as small as stub your toe, you know how incredibly frustrating it is because it, if that one part of the body isn't working right, even if it's a small part, it makes a big difference. I have broken my toes before, and it's crazy how much it impacts just your ability to stand and walk and balance and just be able to live normal life. So every part of the body has a very specific role to play. Uh, in one of Paul's other letters to the church uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So we see clearly that there is this emphasis on individual responsibility. Every part has something that they need to be doing in order for the church to thrive as a whole. So different ministries, different gifts, callings, uh, we see that they are diverse, right? Not all the parts of the body are the same. I pulled up a picture that just had a huge list of all the body parts, and I'm sure that those of you who work in the medical field know that there are so many different things, different muscles and joints and organs and all the different things that have to work together in order for it to function properly. Um, so we're all created on purpose for a purpose. And you have a responsibility to live out that purpose in the church. 
Which leads to the second point. We're going to talk about why did we give, why did Christ give us this gift or this calling? In verses 12 and 13, it says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we see that the purpose of these gifts is to build up the church. Everyone's called to use them, and they're called to use them for the service of the church and not for themselves. And I think this is a tough idea for us to like fully wrap our heads around and fully believe because a lot of times we're being told, even by if you take different assessments like strength finders or something like that, um, the message we often hear or receive is that these are your gifts for you to use in a way that's best for you. Uh, But as Ephesians 4 says, these are Christ's gifts. He gave them to us and they're for us to use in the way that's best for the church. So our gifts are not meant to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to God. And that doesn't mean that you won't still enjoy using your gifts or you won't still get some benefit from them. I think it's a really cool thing that a lot of times God gifts us in ways, uh, he also gives us passions for the things that we're gifted in. So let's just take, for example, if you are gifted or you are passionate about working with kids, Uh, you can have a lot of fun hanging out in the nursery with kids on Sunday, right? You might really enjoy it. They might bring so much joy to you because of all the different things that they're excited about and the things they notice that you don't. Um, But there are also going to be days when the kids are driving you absolutely crazy and you're tired and you don't want to get up early and hang out in the nursery. And so that's why you need to have some kind of motivation outside of just yourself for using your gifts. Because if it's just about you and what you're going to get out of it, why would you do it all the time? There are times where it just doesn't seem worth it to get up and to serve in those ways. But if when we view our gifts as something from Christ that are for the benefit of the church, it gives us a motivation. And hopefully we'll still have joy in doing those things, like in working with kids or, you know, whatever the thing that is that God has gifted you in. But it also gives us a reason to get up that's just beyond ourselves. It invites us into that bigger story. And it all leads to unity, too. So this is kind of one of the things that Paul mentions, is that when we all use our gifts in this way, it leads to unity in the church. And it's this crazy thing that God designed it to work, that we all are different. We've all been given these different gifts and callings, and yet we're most unified when we're all using our different things. When I think about it, if I were to think, how would I create something that's most unified and most similar and working together, I would think... Like, let's just create a bunch of things that are exactly the same, right? That all think the same, all act the same, all want the same things. But that's not necessarily unity. Unity and uniformity are not necessarily the same thing. We actually get a deeper, a more beautiful picture of unity when you see all these different groups of people and different types of gifts working together. One of the ways that I think about this is if you think about music. If any of you were in choir or band or if you just appreciate music, you know that there are different, when different notes are sung together or played together, you can create these beautiful chords uh, that have more depth and interest to them than if everybody was just playing the same note at the same time. Uh, And when the harmony parts all kind of come together, I don't know if anyone's really into music or if you just have songs that you love where it's like the music all kind of builds and all the harmonies come together and it's like, Oh, you just get chills, right? It's just this beautiful thing uh, when all of the different pieces come together. And that's how the church is too. In our diversity of gifts and ministry, when we come together with the same goal of building up the church, 
can be a really beautiful thing. And then the second piece is when we're all working together, uh, we also grow in the knowledge of Christ. That was one of the other things it said in the passage. And that's because when we come together, we can see a better picture of who God is. Because God is many things. He's got so many attributes that we can't all embody them all at once, even if we were to try. And so when we see all these different things come together through other people, we're actually given a better picture of who God is. So for example, when I talk to someone whose heart just breaks for justice and wants to see that happen in the world, I get a bigger picture of God's heart for justice and how much he cares for his people. And when I'm welcomed into the house of someone who's really great at practicing hospitality, I'm reminded of how I'm welcomed into the family of God, even though I don't deserve it. Or when I work with someone who has the gift of administration and organization, uh, praise God there are people who have that, uh, I'm reminded that God is a God of order, not of chaos. So when we all work together, we get to see so much more of God's character, and we get to help one another grow as we do that. Okay, so we're going to move into a time of application where we really kind of talk about what does this look like, how does this play out in our church and in our lives. So first of all, I just want to say thank you. I know Angela said thank you in the beginning um, from the financial support, but those of you who have been serving at Res City, you are just doing a rock star job. <laughs> we could not be here without you guys. Um, and it's so fun for me and for Joel to be able to see all of God's different gifts and ministries play out together on a Sunday morning. We have people who uh, get up early to set up this room or shovel out the trailer and unfreeze the lock when it's uh, frozen shut. We've got people who come and make coffee and greet people warmly when they walk in. We've got people caring for the kids in the nursery and people to lead us in musical worship to bring us um, in connection with God. So thank you. We are we really cannot express it enough how much it means to us that all of you are serving in those different ways. And it hey, if you're here and you're like, you know, I really do want to get connected or I want to serve in some way, uh, come talk to me or Joel after service. We'd love to help you get connected. Uh, we really want to be a team and a family here, and so we want to help you feel like you're a part of that group in any way that you feel called. Okay, and then the second thing I want to talk about, I want us to take a step back and think about a bigger vision for our gifts. Um, Klein Snodgrass, which again, I feel so bad for that guy with his name, uh, but he says in his commentary on Ephesians that a gift is merely the way the spirit works through a person for the good of a community. And like I said earlier, this grace that we've been given, there's that word in that first verse we talked about, can also be thought of as your ministry, meant for building up the church, both inside the walls uh, and outside the walls of the church. Paul's grace, his ministry, was that he was to preach to the Gentiles. And at that point, the Gentiles were likely not in the church, right? He was out there preaching to them, sharing the gospel with them to bring them in and to build up the church in that way. So as much as there are ways that you can serve within the church, I also want you to know that your gift, your calling, your ministry is not confined to Sunday mornings. This is something that God has given you for all of your life and can apply to many areas, including church, but uh, also your neighborhood or your family or your work. And so as we try to think about what it means for us, um, I wanna ask you, you've been given a grace, you've been given this ministry, what is it? Do you know? And are you living it out if you do know? And I'm going to give us a couple questions to think through as you think about what your ministry or what calling God might be putting on, on your heart. So first of all, just how has God uniquely wired you? 
I talked about earlier that everyone is in fact special. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Larson was wrong, my eighth grade teacher. So I want to ask you, how has God uniquely wired you? If you're not sure, or if you're kind of like new to thinking about this, these personality and gift assessments that are out there, you know, there's a ton of them. There's Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, whatever it is. Those can be helpful tools as you think about it. If, I'm giving one clause on this, if you remember that learning about yourself and trying to figure out how God has made you uh, has to have the end goal of building up the church and building up the kingdom of God. You are special, but the end goal is not about you. It's about God. It's his story, and we've been invited to be a part of it. So if you don't feel like you don't know much about yourself, maybe start with those assessments, but also ask the people around you. Ask them, what do you notice about me? What are things I'm good at? What are things that I just light up when I talk about? You know, everybody has those things that they just get so excited about. What motivates you? And how can you use those things to benefit the church and the kingdom of God? And secondly, I want to ask, what experiences has God brought you through? We all have different life experiences. Uh, some of them are positive, and some of them are really difficult. But they've made us who we are. They're not random. God knows what you've experienced. Uh, and even though we may not always get to see the reasons behind our experiences, uh, God knows them, and sometimes he might even use them as part of your ministry. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So God never wastes pain. He redeems it. And sometimes one of the ways he does that is through using the comfort that we've received from him to walk with others who are in similar difficult situations. There are certain experiences in my life that I've seen God work in in such mighty ways that I've sort of made a deal with God uh, that anytime someone else comes into my life who has had those experiences or is maybe working through some of those hard things that I've said, okay, I will make time for that. I will, uh, even if it's when I'm really busy or I feel like there's no way I'm going to make time for it, I know that that's something that God has called me to minister to others because of the comfort that he has brought me through it. So maybe there's something like that in your life. I don't know. But think about what has God brought you through? What different experiences have you have, good or bad? Um, and how could that help you as you minister to others? And then lastly, where has God placed you? This is the last question I want to ask. Acts 17, 26 through 27 says that from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So God has placed you in a specific place and a specific time for a reason. Where you are right now is not an accident. Your job, your neighborhood, your family, God is in control of all of that. So consider where God has placed you as well. Think about who's in your life. Who do you interact with on a daily basis? Where do you spend most of your time? And granted, these things will change over time. Uh, and so I want to speak specifically to people who maybe are thinking, yeah, I don't really like where God has placed me right now. It's not a great thing for me. I'm not enjoying my circumstances. Uh, and I want you to know that the ministry and the place that God has put you right now might not be the place he has you in five years. It's likely not the place you were five years ago. 
Um, but I want you to know that God is working in it. And even though we can't see the reasons for it, uh, he is still sovereign over it. And I think that we can ask and, and pray, Lord, why do you have me in this place? Help me to use this experience that I'm having for the good of your kingdom. Not that that makes it a fun thing. It's not like it easily switches like, oh, now I love my circumstances. Um, but I want you to know that God is still in control over that. So I don't know what this looks like for you. Uh, you all are in different situations in life. Uh, maybe it means you're going to start having your neighbors over once a month, right? You're going to practice that hospitality, try to, to share the love of Christ with your neighbors. Maybe it looks like doing something at your workplace or investing in the people who are there. Or maybe it means intentionally investing in someone younger than you, right? Discipling, mentoring, coaching, whatever you want to call it. Uh, helping that person grow in the knowledge of God and in their maturity and their faith. So I'm encouraging you to put all these things together, kind of put it in a blender and see what happens. Uh, pray about it. Talk to people in your life, uh, the right people. Please, do, the people who just say like, I don't know, just do what makes you happy. Not helpful. Don't, if you're saying that to other people, <laughs> uh, stop saying that. Um, so talk to people who can give you real feedback and can uh, ask hard questions, give you real truth. And then listen to the Holy Spirit. See where God is leading you. And lastly, just get out there. Whatever your calling is, I want you to, to try to figure out how can I use that? How can I use what God has gifted me in right now where I'm at? And if you are feeling kind of stuck as you think about that, I would love to talk to you more about it. This is something that makes me super excited is helping people figure out where their gifts are and how they can use them well. Um, so, and I want you also to be creative in thinking about it, right? It's easy to look at a church and say, well, there are, you know, four ways I can serve. I could be on the worship team. I could work with kids. I could make coffee. I could set up, you know, oh, that's it. But there's so much more. Uh, some of the best ideas that I've seen come out of churches are actually ideas from people in totally different fields than ministry, right? Maybe they're in business or the medical field or education, but you might have a different perspective. Maybe part of that is your gifting and your calling. So if you have any ideas or things you want to talk through, please come talk to me. I'd love to help you think through that. Uh, because you do have a role to play in building up the church. You were created on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to God. So we are going to transition now to a time of communion. Uh, and communion is actually one of the ways that we as a church can practice unity and show unity. Because by taking communion, uh, we are acknowledging that Christ came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, and was raised again in victory. So if you believe that this is true, I invite you to come forward and take communion when we uh, move to that time. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. I encourage you to use this time to pray, um, to ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you're ready to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I invite you to come and take your first communion with us today. While we do communion, we are, the worship team is going to come back up, so we're going to be worshiping in song as we do it as well and responding to God in that way. Uh, we also believe that giving is a way to respond to God. So if you would like to give financially to Resurrection City, uh, there's a box in the back just behind that curtain over there, um, or you can give online uh, on our website or our welcome cards have some information about that as well. All right, so please pray with me uh, as we transition to this time of response. Lord, we praise you that you were willing to give your only son so that we could be united to you and that we could be united to each other. We ask that you would give us the power and the strength through your Holy Spirit uh, to live out that unity, including in the ways that we use our gifts to build up the church. 
and is each of us, each part of the, um, each role that we play mimics the way that the roles, the parts of the body play. We pray that it would lead to a healthy church, a church that brings glory to you, that loves you and loves others. Um, and Lord, I just pray that as we consider this week what that looks like for each of us, that you would guide us, that you would help us to um, understand the calling that you have put on our lives and uh, lead us to live that out in a way that builds others up. In your name we pray. Amen.